five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA, and we're going to be talking about catalogs today, lots of them. Okay, but first we're going to start with Tom Fishburn, and uh, he's talking about AI and productivity. And he starts out, imagine the productivity savings with, with AI. Savings with AI. We could shrink my whole team to just three prompt engineers reporting to me. And his boss says, that's a good start. Me gets erased. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, right. Okay. Now, unfortunately, we did a bit on AI shopping. And if you think AI can't make shopping decisions compared to humans, wait till you make it your CEO. Although I, I did read that BlackRock, after the founder had failed at another modeled stock buying company, um, built BlackRock as an AI engine to buy things and sell things automatically um, and has built it up to trillions of dollars bigger than the GDP of most company of most countries I don't know that for sure but it's an interesting idea of uh, of how things work <laughs> so maybe it will work maybe AI will help you work but more likely you'll be working for AI I'm not sure who said that okay oh Ian Boast no Ian Bogost and you wouldn't believe how small these little these little, um, how small these little type, the type is here. <laughs> no one knows how, how he made this observation in the Atlantic. And it's, it stuck with me, says Tom Fishburne. As AI organiza as organizations scrambled to incorporate AI, no one knows quite how AI will impact the future of work. Will productivity gains be offset by, as Ian Pagos put it, AI's inevitable bureaucratization? Bureaucratization? I don't know. You shouldn't use words like that. <laughs> or will it map closer to the vision described by NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wang last week at a commencement address at National Taiwan University? Wang said, to... 2023 is a perfect year to graduate. Graduates will be able to take advantage of AI and do amazing things with a, an AI co-pilot by your side. But um, Wang then voiced a sentiment I've seen countless times in the months since the arrival. While some worry that AI may take your job, their jobs, someone who is expert with AI will. In other words, if you don't, if you don't learn it, and I felt that way with spreadsheets. You know, I was the first company, I was the first employee at our consulting firm to use a PC. And basically, Vic Hunter gave it to me and said, figure it out. No one else had one, you know. And when I gave a talk at, uh, at the New York Hilton uh, on Avenue of the Americas, they'd never had anybody use a PC in a presentation live, ever. Um, and when I started talking about what is the future of computers in marketing? Imagine that. 
Imagine that no one could even envision how computers would affect marketing, right? We did it all. We did it all by hand somehow, right? And, you know, when I ask people, how do you think we did marketing before computers? And they look at me blankly. And I say, we kept track of the important things. And only those things. And we may not have made great decisions, but it's far better to keep track of the important things well than it is to keep track of everything or to try to because you can't you can't keep track of everything and you don't know what's important at the moment and so computers have really caused more confusion i think than they have really given us a clear view of what's going on and we'll talk a couple of, we've got a great couple of great stories about that so um some of the biggest open questions about ai disruption involve organizations of the future what skills are required and the impact of productivity? Not even leadership is immune to the potential impact. Alibaba CEO Jack Ma once predicted that the future, in the future, a robot will be the best CEO. And uh, last August, a Hong Kong-based gaming company with $2 billion in annual revenue appointed an AI bot to be their CEO. And um, they paid them nothing, and their share price is currently up 10%. But McKinsey estimated that at least 25% of a CEO's time is spent on tasks that could, AI could replicate. You know, I'm wondering if we could get, you know, if we could get a smoke a spokesperson here. You know, theoretically, I could summarize these articles and get a bot like like um dr augustine food did with the gorgeous woman but i'll do, just do myself you know apparently they can build uh they can build spokes people that with just a little video i i have 1.2 thousand videos on youtube <laughs> i'm sure they could replicate me and maybe even put the pauses and the uh, uh, uhs and all that in there to make it look authentic and uh, i could just i could just highlight what i want them to say and boy it could go a lot faster i think i'm not sure it's hard to say okay but i don't think i'll i don't think this part will be replaced anytime soon of my my personal hood out here on the on the other side of the camera um let's see I don't see any, I was just checking to see if anybody's reporting live. Sometimes that throws me off, but sometimes I like to see it. I think organizations should question just how best to approach the AI pro productivity boom. There will be a different, uh, there'll be a, there will be a difference between organizations with a growth mindset and those with a cost cutting mindset. You know, ultimately AI is just plagiarism, just like predictive modeling is just careful historical analysis. It doesn't really get you to the future. No way it gets you to the future. And unless you realize that, which I don't think anyone does, that AI is plagiarism and predictive modeling is historical analysis and the ability to analyze lots of variables, but you still don't know which ones are the most important. You know which ones correlate the best. doesn't necessarily tell you which are the most important. Okay, and productivity through cost-cutting alone is a race to the bottom. Okay, here's a few other cartoons, which you've seen before, so we're going to go on. We've got a bunch of things to cover, right? So, let's see. 
Mary Cabela. Family announces the passing of Cabela's co-founder, Mary Cabela, uh, wife of Dick Cabela. And, uh, you know, I got to work with Dick for about a year, a uh, little more, and um, I learned a lot. I probably learned as much from Dick Cabela as anybody. And I think he learned some from me, too. We had a lot of fun together. And uh, when they started out, uh, Mary had been hunting since she was a young girl, mother of nine. Uh, when they started out in 1961, they filled fly fishing mail orders from their kitchen table in their home in Chappelle, Nebraska. And I think that um, Sharon Robeson, my friend who got me into Cabela's, was their first employee. I think she was there longer than Jim. Uh, I did get to meet Jim, but I didn't really do any work with him at the time. And, um, and then Cabela's was acquired by Bass Pro. I think the Justice Department or something forced that forced that acquisition. I don't know. It it was mysterious, and I know the people of Nebraska were greatly harmed by that. So um, this is an interesting story. LL Bean. I mean, we're talking about old catalogs. <laughs> LL Bean gave social media the boot, but its business still got the kick. And apparently, what they did was they signed off from social media for the entire month of May. And its off-the-grid initiative was supposed to bring mental health and all this other stuff. But what really happened was Instagram's impressions were actually up 95% year over year. People went back and looked at their old stuff. Uh, and so this article asks if, they're, you know, if this is nuts or what they're doing. Now we'll go over to the final article, which is from Chris Persons at, uh, at Quad, it seems. Uh, you might be thinking about channel agnostic marketing all wrong. And this was published in uh, Forbes, but it seems like it's a paid blog from Quad. A lot of marketers will tell you that they're channel agnostic. The idea is to deploy resources. This is it. The idea is to deploy resources across various channels and see how they perform. And then let the best channels win. And um, a lot of companies are still siloed a lot of them have a digital division and the digital division does whatever they want and the mail if they have mail does whatever they want and what what often happens mostly what happens is that the company or the digital marketing company does the attribution because it's so complicated to find out what's actually happening on digital perhaps it's run by bots perhaps it's the bots clicking. I should have done that. that that's one of the cartoons in the, in the uh, series below the article from Fishburn today. Um, the good news is our clicks are up 30%. The bad news is um, more than half of them are bots. Right. So what happens is, is that uh, you do a mailing <coughs> and you do it to previous customers, let's say. And the previous customers have obviously visited the website, right? And so they visit the website again. And uh, they they don't use a QR code or whatever. They just click it in. You, they might even click Google link because they say, oh, I need to go to Cabela's. There's, yeah, I remember. I got this catalog. I remember that. I wanted some boots or L.L. Bean. I wanted some boots. And so they go to L.L. Bean and they then they get distracted and they, and they, and they sign off. And the catalog's still laying there, right? 
Remember, the catalog drove that first click. The catalog's still laying there because I keep catalogs around a lot, right? And uh, and I don't see any on the desk right now because I've been trying to clean my office, but I'm sure there are some. Here's one from East Bay. No, here's one from 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 Eastwood, right? There's a flyer from Eastwood. I keep that around. And uh, so we'll send, we'll, we'll tag Brian in this one. Um, and, uh, and you say, oh, yeah, I forgot to order the boots. And so now you go again and you say Eastwood and you forgot to write .com and you just go Eastwood boots and Google brings up a link and away you go. Okay. And so now you paid for a catalog that drove two visits to the website right right there tangibly tangibly visited the website and you place an order right or maybe you fill out the boot order but you got one more question so you leave again and then you get an email and it says did you mean to forget to order your boots couple days later and you say oh yeah I gotta order those boots that sounds like me that's about how I order stuff who gets credit for the order probably the email right and they'll say oh retargeting by email is the most effective highest response uh, channel that you can use is that what really happened it's hard to say of course causality is a difficult thing you can think of Aristotle and his four statues or whatever, four creators of the statue, the person who dreamed it up, the person who funded it, the person who built it, and the person who put it in place, I think. I always forget what they are. But anyway, cause is a slippery animal to decide what's what. Okay. And my friend Spam Risk is calling again. And so DM is often shunted off to the side. Marketers, and this can prevent marketers from achieving the best cross-channel optimization for their dollar. In fact, with an ever-increasing number of external agency partners, they aren't incentivized. In fact, they're actually typically in a not-so-subtle competition. So in that competition, the, the pay-per-click Google will claim that order, and the retargeters will claim that order, and if it wouldn't have been for the catalog, maybe none of it would have happened, right? Possibly. Plus, you're paying three extra vendors for that same order, okay? So your cost per piece, people say, well, that catalog is expensive, so you pay a dollar for the cost per piece, but you pay two dollars for the pay-per-click. Now it's four dollars. And uh, the retargeting by email or or by postcard or whatever is also you pay another dollar. So you could be paying quadruple or more just for the same event that probably you would have got the order event eventually anyway. And uh, that makes campaign effectiveness very political. Who do you want to win? What are we really looking for here anyway? Is it is it really that important? You know, when business to business, 
when when I got started in marketing back in the 80s, we were trying to expand the the arsenal of marketers who only had a sales force or who only had a catalog. And we would explain to them how the whole thing could work together better. Okay? But the attribution could be tricky. You know, but in a in a business to business sale, I would explain, you know, you might have seven or eight different individuals that are part of the buying decision making, right? And uh, so you say, you know, I mailed this I mailed this account this past year. I mailed them eight times. I called them four times, and the salesman called on them twice. Who should I credit for the order? And the answer is, that's probably not the right way to look at it, right? And I mailed this person four times and this person once. Who should I credit for the order, right? In, a, in an environment like that, you really don't know what's going on. And it's worse with digital and with, 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 with direct marketers trying to figure this all out. What's one good way to do it? Well, the, the best way, and it works with catalogs very well, is don't mail somebody. You know, with Musician's Friend, we used to regularly not mail about 10% of the mailing and see what differential we got from those customers that we would have mailed but didn't versus the ones we did mail. And it was usually about 300% EBITDA, something like that. So those ca those customers were maybe worth 10 times the revenue and three times the profit of the customers that we didn't mail. Does it make sense? Very, very simple. But you got to not mail them. So what was L.L. Bean doing? Probably a holdout test. The best way to test digital is in their incremental impact is to stop. That's how Uber found out that their digital mail or their digital campaigns were actually not generating incremental revenue. They accidentally stopped for a week, stopped all ads, and the business was was as good or better. Procter and Gamble stopped for I don't know, a, they they stopped their buying process, cut out 49% of their spend, and their business went up. It's not so simple, but that's the way to do it is stop. And so LL Bean, maybe the maybe the reason they gave was not the real reason. And that's crucially important um, because most of what you know of as multi-touch attribution grew out of the click-centric first touch. And at the end of the article, Quad argues that they can, you know, in conjunction with the post office, they can they can track when your mail is delivered and when it gets to the household, and if they use a QR code, when they click from the mail to the site. Yes, that's if they use the QR. But a lot of people don't. I hate going to websites on my phone, right? For one thing, it's more tracked than a private browser window. I never get retargeting anymore now because I always use a private browser window when I go to a catalog or especially Amazon uh, as I just don't want them, I, you know, I don't want to log in. I don't want them to know. And so uh, Quad makes this big deal about how they can they can uh, track. They also say you got to do a good job in mail. And then finally they say that uh, customers do care about channels. And finally they say that, um, you know, it's not about choosing one over another, but I think it absolutely is. And I think if you're really going to do attribution, you need to do holdout testing. And that's my take. Have a great day.
Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart.